You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, episode 49, Former Cattle Ranch Turned Animal Sanctuary. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Soul and Wonder podcast. We are your hosts, Sarah and Christopher. Hello, everybody. It's nice to have you here. Wonderful to have you here. We have an incredibly inspiring story with Renee and Tommy from Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. But before we get into that... Let's share with you a little love note from our iTunes reviews. Let's do it. This is from C.E. Wilso, and it says, Christopher and Sarah are experts when it comes to a plant-based lifestyle. They bring so much to the table and will guide you in the right direction, not only with your diet, but practices to live a better life. Highly recommend listening to their podcast as it sheds light on a variety of topics. Wonderful. I'm so glad that you're finding a lot of valuable information following a plant-based lifestyle. And I like that you mentioned that we also give you practices to live a better life because we are all about holistic personal development. That means the body, mind, and soul. Yes. And, you know, for those of you that are thirsty for meaning, thirsty to connect with your soul's purpose, that is what we're all about. We do all of these things so you can reach that state of being. Absolutely. And guess what? We have news. You may have found out on our Facebook already, but we are officially moving to Boston, Massachusetts this mid-April. Yes, this is super exciting as we will be offering in-person services out of Karma Yoga Studio in Cambridge near Harvard Square. So Karma Yoga Studio has been around for about 16 years now. They offer yoga. They have a fantastic state-of-the-art gym where there will be a vegan personal trainer. There is some Ayurvedic specialists that are going to be offering nutrition guidance and herbal medicine guidance. And of course, our service will will be offering life purpose coaching, which is very exciting. But what does this mean for you? Nothing changes for you on our online community. In fact, everything will stay the same. We're going to still be doing our one-on-one coaching services through our nine-step method of the Vegan Warrior Total Immersion, as well as releasing a digital course version of that very same method so that you can coach yourself. Which will help you enhance your health, happiness, and connection in the vegan lifestyle. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to join our Facebook group, the Soul in Wonder Vegan Warrior Community. Absolutely. Give us a like on our Soul in Wonder business page and be sure to follow for our updates. Podcast is staying the same. We'll be bringing to you all topics of holistic wellness. So let's talk about Renee and Tommy. 
Renee was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and is the founder and executive director of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Renee was a city girl before moving in with her husband, Tommy, to the ranch in Angleton, Texas, which was once a beef cattle operation in the heart of cattle country. She fell in love with all the farm animals, having no idea that her life was about to be forever changed because of her husband's ranching business. So after witnessing time and time again, the baby cat going to the sale barn, she became depressed about the inherent cruelty of the ranching business. But by October 2014, she had finally decided she no longer wanted any part of ranching. So she went vegan and began pursuing her vision to open a vegan farm animal sanctuary. She forged relationships with many key leaders in the vegan movement who offered insight and counsel, and with tremendous determination, she created Rowdy Girl Sanctuary Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit. So, Renee has always been an entrepreneur and an entertainer at heart. Her background includes a career as professional performer, producer, Texas realtor, and her interest in yoga and wellness culminated in several businesses, including the build-out of a multifaceted medical spa and yoga studio. Renee's passion is her greatest asset, and she believes her true calling has finally found her in her work at Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, and now she is a catalyst for change in a, well, sometimes dark and cruel world to educate others about the importance of adopting a vegan lifestyle and her greatest aspiration is to be an advocate for ranchers she says it's time to start rescuing ranches so renee has an absolutely incredible story and tommy of course right along with her we were thrilled to get them onto the show after we saw them on an episode of Vet Life that our parents recommended. So not only are we going to go into the details of Renee's story, we're also going to dive deep into Tommy's experience and get an inside peek into what he went through while essentially losing everything he knew to be true about life as a rancher. Of course, we'll also talk about the process of switching the ranch to the sanctuary, no easy job, and cover some of the hiccups along the way that they've since fixed, such as the first failed attempt at sterilizing the bulls, which led to the accidental pregnancy of some of their cows. So we're also, one of the hidden gems in this episode is we're going to talk about the efficacy of advocacy within the ranching community and how, let's face it, as much as we city vegans might think we know how to communicate the vegan truth, our tactics might not work for the ranching community. And in fact, the message is even more powerful coming from former ranchers who personally understand the societal conditionings and beliefs ranchers have to break in order to set themselves free into a vegan lifestyle. It's no easy feat. I'm so glad that they're doing the work they're doing. Yeah, we really enjoyed this conversation. They're wonderful people and we hope that uh, you really enjoy this episode. Absolutely. Uh, Be sure to stick around to the end for your health tip. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're so excited to have Renee and Tommy here with Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Thanks for coming on the show, Renee and Tommy. Hey, guys. Hi. Now, I must say, we came across you because my parents are obsessed with that vet life show. (laughs) And they posted something on my Facebook. They were like, oh my goodness, you need to reach out to them. This would be a great podcast episode. And we just fell in love with your story right away. 
Wow. So is that the first time you've heard of us? That's the first time. And it's so crazy because we've been so active in the vegan community for so long. And I'm so surprised this slipped through the cracks until Vet Life introduced it. <laughs> wow. 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 Yeah. CBS Evening News came out here a couple years ago. Oh, wonderful. March will be two years, yeah, and our story just blew up and went all over the place. I can see why, because it's a pretty captivating story, and, you know, obviously, we know, our listeners may not know, but we know what makes your story captivating is that you guys used to run a ranch to raise cattle for beef, and now you've transformed into an animal sanctuary, so let's go back to the very beginning for our listeners who may have not heard your story before. Tommy, you were a rancher when you and Renee married and what was a day in the life like for you before you were living a vegan sanctuary lifestyle? Well, I bought this place in 2002 and I was uh, working for Dow Chemical and I was getting ready for my retirement. So I acquired the acreage and I had about 25 to 30 cows on here. And in 2010, I reunited with Renee. Uh, we had been married previously, and we got back together. Well, she wanted me to move to Houston, and I didn't want to. Uh, she didn't want to move to the ranch, really, but, you know, we were at a dilemma. And so she decided to move out here to the ranch. And for you, Tommy, working as a rancher, what was your day-to-day life like as far as routine was concerned? You know, Well, it was rough. I cut a lot of hay and took care of the cows. And I would ship the cows off about every six months, you know, just to limit the, uh, the amount of animals on, on the land that I had. Mm-hmm. And... When Renee came along, uh, she wasn't prepared for the ranching type lifestyle. Mm. And the first time she saw me ship some animals off, she had a hissy fit and, and she was sad. She was torn up and I never felt comfortable with it myself, but that's how everybody got food is uh, the justification that, that I was coming from. Mm-hmm. So at, at what point, Renee, did you start questioning your beliefs regarding animals as food? Well, um, I'll be 60 years old this year, this month. And I've been a yoga practitioner since I was in my 20s. And so off and on, I've been vegetarian. I even went uh, full on raw one time. You know, through my yoga studies, I would question sometimes, but it never really sunk down into the level that it needed to sink down into until I moved out here. So I'd already had some, you know, um, some training, if you will, on ahimsa, which is Mm nonviolence. And so I was... You know, already I already had my thought processes um, regarding it, but it was very superficial uh, because I was from Texas, and you know it. You know, I would dabble in it, but then I would always go back to eating uh, just the regular standard American diet because that's what we did. Mm. And when I moved out here and started actually seeing the cows, you know, roaming around and the babies, 
Um, at first, I ignored the animals because, you know, that's what I always did when I was driving down a rural road and saw cows. I never even paid attention really to the fact that they were food. They were there. They were always part of the Texas landscape and uh, never questioned it. But when I, when I moved here, I did start questioning because when Tommy would take the babies to the cell barn every six months, my heart broke. Mm. First time it happened, I really wasn't prepared. Um, the first time I was actually helping him and his partner get ready um, for that. You know, I was trying to, you know, be, uh, you know, a good helper. And I was out there, you know, uh, asking questions. I was actually even videoing uh, the process. And then, but but when I started seeing the babies go in and be trapped uh, in that trailer, um, I started feeling really sad uh, because they were trapped and they couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And when the red trailer left the sanctuary for the very first time, uh, and the mothers started following the trailer, like a line of cows were following the trailer and the babies were trying to get out. Their eyes were just so betrayed. You could see their eyes, you know, through the trailer. And when the trailer took off down the road, we have a, a long highway stretch. We, we have a mile and a half of highway frontage. And when the trailer took the turn up the highway, the cows the mamas took the turn too up the fence line. Mm. And when that happened, my heart actually broke. I just was shocked that these cows had that type of uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I was shocked. It was their babies, but for some reason, you know, we're taught, you know, not to uh, even understand that. We were taught, in fact, that they don't have those kinds of connections. And from that point on, um, I was never the same. I didn't go vegan at that point, but I was never the same. It took me six years of questioning my ethics and my values and my place, uh, you know, in relationship to my husband, you know, my position here as his wife. It took it took six years for me to finally go vegan. Wow, that's really profound, you know, to experience that firsthand as a catalyst to really question those beliefs and ethics and morals and values. I can imagine that that was kind of a heavy weight to carry throughout those years. It was. That was, um, and it never left me. It, it, it caused me to start, you know, doing research, um, Tommy wanted me to have my own cow because I didn't really want to help him, uh, you know, with the gates or the hay. I didn't really want to be involved in the ranching business. And um, and then we got a little rowdy girl. We got actually two calves, but one of them passed away. But we got a little rowdy girl and she was a baby calf. And, uh, you know, it kind of soothed my heart. Uh I would feed her twice a day and she was just my baby, you know, and I uh, loved feeding her. I just lit up when she would come, you know, to be fed. And that was 
that was kind of like his biggest mistake of wanting <laughs> me to have my own calf because then my feelings even grew deeper. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What sort of, you know, tension did this clash of beliefs and values perhaps cause in your relationship between the two of you at that time? Well, very early on, I noticed that Renee did not like me selling any animal. Mm-hmm. So I started trying to hide it from her. Uh, if she'd be gone for the day that I'd planned that to be the day that I loaded calves and, but it didn't work. She always, uh, you know, it, it really bothered her and she got to where she was blocking me. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was tough because, you know, me and Tommy, you know, married for the second time we had, uh, you know, we have a deep, you know, love for each other. It runs real deep to get married the second time. I mean, it was like, we weren't going to divorce again. Sure. I mean, we'd already been through that once and who knew that me, you know, loving cows and going vegan was going to be the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. Right. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Who knew that? And so, then, yeah. some, huh? then, then somewhere in the middle of all this, uh, she started asking me questions like, why don't we eat our own beef? And and I'd tell her, I don't want to eat any cow that I know. I'd rather just go to the grocery store and buy a package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really started messing with my head because I was like, you know, I started realizing that we never ate our own animals. We had real grass-fed beef um, and we always bought the most expensive, you know, cuts of uh, beef at the store, you know, and the ground turkey and all that. And it's disgusting now. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I was really, I really started questioning him. And he, when he told me he couldn't eat his own animal, I was like, what? I didn't say I couldn't eat. I just said... I didn't want to eat. I said, we don't eat that much beef anyway. And she was trying to force me to pick out a, an animal and butcher it. Uh, and I just didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told him, I said, if we're going to do this, we need to just kill our own animals. And, you know, part of me, you know, uh, was being a psychological, I was psychologically motivating him to, to push him to his threshold. Uh, and, and, I, and I wasn't doing it consciously, but as I look back on it, I really was. I, I was like, Why don't, if we're going to be in this business, we need to kill our own animals and eat them. Mm-hmm. Then, then we went through the humane route. Renee started bringing home uh, fresh milk from a dairy about 40 miles from here. Then we got a milkman that would deliver it. Cheese, milk, and all that kind of Cheese stuff. Cheese and milk and sour cream and butter and, you know, I mean, everything yeah. fresh from a dairy, a local dairy. And right before uh, she went vegan, we had uh, contracted with the milkman to butcher a cow. But it never happened. She went vegan first. 
<laughs> well, it's it's when I'm hearing you talk about this, it's really ironic because I can relate to this sort of feeling. And and so when I was living in Africa, I was um, you know still I was not vegan at this point, but I you know a lot of people in Tanzania they don't really eat too much meat. It's almost like a delicacy because it's very um, they want to keep their livestock and sell them off and everything. And so uh, on Easter one year, my friend asked me uh, to slaughter the chicken for a dinner and I and I was really questioning everything about this decision to do this but I said if I'm going to eat meat then I need to be able to do it myself instead of the convenience of closing the gap of consciousness and going into the grocery store and buying it myself where I'm not exposed to any of the killing well long story short I ended up doing it and it really I mean it it changed me completely and that's kind of my story about going vegan but I was really relating to your story and and listening to you talk about this yeah it's something we don't think about you know doing until someone asks you well would you do it yourself and why don't you do it yourself and if you have the animals then why not do it yourself and I can imagine that opened up a lot of questions for the both of you well the cow that we had picked out is still alive, and his name is Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah, fitting. Yeah, he was lucky, all right. In fact, he was lucky twice because he was one of the ones that missed the the last trailer that went out of here, February 2014. Uh, lucky somehow, you know, jumped off the trailer and hurt his leg. Well, he saw a gap in the uh, the gate in the back of the trailer about six inches wide, and he hit it with his head and opened it up and before I could get to it. And as he was running through it, he uh, hurt his back leg. And that's why when Renee said, if you were going to slaughter one of these cows, which one would it be? And I said, well, that broke leg one. Mm -hmm. He called it broke leg. And he said, and so, and he thought broke leg would never live very long because he had a bum leg. Well, lucky uh, AKA broke leg is still alive and, and doing well and doing great. Beautiful, beautiful steer. And actually, uh, he's rowdy girl's firstborn baby. Aww. Amazing. I'm so happy to hear that it worked out for him. <laughs> yep. So yep, he never did get, he never did get butchered. Thank God. I'm very glad to hear that. Now I am curious, how exactly did you make the switch from this ranch to now the sanctuary? This is what happened in my point of view. Um, I started seeing, now I didn't tell Tommy this, but as I was going vegan, I went vegan October 31st, 2014. From February 2014, that was the last time that a trailer ever left here to go to the cell barn. So from February to October, you know, we're having babies, uh, lots of them, because March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, that's eight months. You know, normally he sent animals to the cell barn every six months, but I started, I started holding him back. I wouldn't let him sell them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I told him he couldn't sell them anymore. And he, re he retired in September of 2014 from Dow Chemical. And, you know, during this whole stretch from February to October, I was transitioning to vegan and didn't even know it. Um, I always tell everybody Rowdy Girl was my vegan advocate. Mm. Rowdy Girl actually gave me kind of an entrance, and um, this is kind of esoteric, but when I would bottle feed Rowdy Girl, 
I would also kind of be fed a, a line into the other cows and I started watching their families and I started observing all the different relationships that they all had when I would bottle feed Rowdy Girl. And it became very real to me. Uh, I, and then when I wasn't feeding Rowdy Girl, I could then look out there and instead of just seeing a landscape full of cows, I actually saw them, who they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was huge for me. And so from February to October, those relationships with the cows started deepening. I started following them around. I would go out in the field with them in the pastures and wherever they would walk, I would walk. I would sit down with them when they'd sit down. I would just be a cow, basically. And um, so uh, in October, it was Halloween. Uh, I, I was watching a Melanie Joy. I don't know if you know who Melanie Joy is. Yep. Yes, yes. yes. You, you do know her? Yes, yes. Well, I've met her, uh, and I love her. I was I stumbled upon her carnism uh, dissertation. Her, it's beautiful. What a wonderful dissertation. <laughs> you know the one where she talks about the beef stew? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, that that dissertation blew my mind because I was listening to it. And when I heard her say, you know, no, it's not really, you know, a cow, it's, it's dog meat, you know, it's a, it's a golden retriever. Uh, I just, my mouth dropped open and I, and I was like, oh my God, you know, who knows what's really in the bowl Mm -hmm. when it's all chopped up, you know? And so I got that picture in my mind that I could be eating a dog, I could be eating a cat, I could be eating a rat. Heck, I could be eating my aunt and not know it. Mm-hmm. And when that evening, we went to his mother's house, who recently uh, passed away. We went to her house because uh, they have a annual Halloween little party there. All the kids were there, the nieces, the nephews, the brother, the brother-in-law, the sister-in-law, all that and everybody was, you know, just talking and having a good time. And my mother-in-law brings out a big pot of beef stew. Mm. Uh, and I just lost it. In my mind, I was like, oh, my God. Are, is she really going to serve beef stew? I just saw that or just listened to that dissertation. And when she brought it out to me, I said, I can't eat that. And I, and I just said it to the air, basically. And she said, why not? And I said, because it's got floating dead Packed up animal bodies in it. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and went, well, Renee, you can pick it out. And the whole, the whole room went quiet when I said it's got floating dead, hacked up animal bodies in it. Everybody stopped talking. <laughs> and they all looked at me. And it was as if I had said some cardinal sin like if I, it was as if they looked at me like, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. And I repeated it. And then that's when my mother-in-law said, well, Renee, you can pick it out. And I said, no, ma'am, there's no more picking it out for me. And that was the moment that I went vegan. Wow. And so we started becoming a sanctuary. Basically, it all started from that moment because I started calling Tommy a murderer. Uh, he was not going to sell them cows. And if he did, by God, I was going to follow the trailer to the cell barn and I was going to buy them all back with his credit card. And if he and if that didn't work, uh, he could he would he could pick me up in jail. That's what I told him. 
And because I'd been watching all these activists, you know, videos. So I was just like thinking, you know, I could do that. I could go up there and raise a big ruckus. I could do that. I could do that. And I meant it and I would do it. And I started seeing instead of a ranch, a killing operation, I started seeing a saving operation. Mm -hmm. I started seeing it's, it's as if I walked outside and my perception changed. As it was if I went from seeing a cattle ranch, I went to seeing a sanctuary. And wow. what I did was I went about creating what I saw in every way that I could. And didn't you raise money um, to buy the cattle from Tommy? How did that happen? Well, I was loading cows in December of 2014 or trying to. And she came out there and started uh, you know, blocking me again. She was call me a murderer and saying, you know, if you load these cows, I'm going to follow you in. And so I just kind of threw everything I had in my hands down and said, uh, I'm going to get out of the blankety blank business. And I figured, Hey, the divorce is on now. We, we had said the second time we married, we'd said we could work through anything, but this was pretty much it for me. And, uh, I figured I needed, uh, uh a little bit of time. So I said, I'm going to get out of the business. I'm going to sell them all. And she piped up and said, well, if you're going to sell them all, why don't you sell them to me? And I said, that's stupid. That's crazy. And it, it actually happened. I said, she goes, how much? And I said, well, I'll give them to you for $30,000. I figured by saying that I would buy a week or two weeks of time because previously uh, I had been telling her to get rid of her, what she called her cows, which was Rowdy Girl and, and uh, Houdini, is the ones that she had claimed. And they were the ones that gave me the most trouble getting out of the fence and grazing along the highway. The cops had come and just multiple times. So that's, that's kind of what started it. Uh, Renee started a GoFundMe campaign with people I didn't even know that she knew. And in the first week, she raised uh, several thousand dollars, I believe. And I couldn't really go back on my word. I'd already said uh, I'd sell them to her, thinking that she wouldn't be able to acquire the money. And she proved me wrong. So it took me about two, three weeks to really cool off much at all. And since my dad had died when he was 61 of a heart attack and the fact that I was overweight and out of shape and getting fairly old, you know, uh, getting ready to, you know, I was retired actually. And so I said, I'm going to start eating like you're eating, but I'm going to tell you whether I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyway, I'm getting a little ahead of the story here, but, um, yeah, because, you know, when I bought the cows, um, we were out in the middle of the field and we were like hollering at each other. And I had, I had unbeknownst to him, started a page uh, called Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife. If you haven't checked that page out, that was my very first vegan page. Mm -hmm. It's the page that actually spawned Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. It's the reason Rowdy Girl Sanctuary exists today because Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife is where I started getting all my vegan friends. 
And I started kind of like building up my courage to have this showdown with Tommy on that page. And he didn't know it. He didn't even know I'd done. I'd started this page. Wow. But I was conniving really in the back of my mind that I needed to buy these cows. I was going to save these cows. He was not taking them. And he was trying to get them in that trailer in December of 2014. And I went out there and that's when I told him, I said, you know, if you're going to, he said, I'm just going to get out of the business. I'm going to sell all these cows. And I said, whoa, if you're going to sell all these cows, then why don't you sell them to me? Mm-hmm. And he, and I'd already been talking to people about this. You know, he didn't know it. I said, he said, sell them to you. Are you crazy? I said, yes, I am absolutely <laughs> crazy. I have lost my mind. One I had before is gone. I've got a new, I got a new consciousness. It's not even the same as it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm in it. And I said, I want to buy these cows. He said, how are you going to buy these cows? I said, don't worry about it. I said, if you were to sell them right now at the sale barn, what could you get for them? And he was like, he just played into me. You know, he didn't think I'd do it. He said, oh, I could get $35,000, $40,000, blah, 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 blah. He went into all these scenarios. And I said, well, what would you sell them to your wife for? <laughs> Pull the wife card, right? And he said, well, Renee, I could sell them to you for thirty. I said, all right. You got a deal. And I said, would you let me lease the land for a dollar a year? And then she goes, how about two years? And then I said, how about? So I had a deal. You know, I was going to lease the land for a dollar a year for two years. And I was going to buy the cows for 30000 So I went back to all my friends on the Vegan Journal. And I started, like, you know, messaging back and forth. And I'd already been talking to Kip Anderson, which had already told me, you know, he's the one with Cowspiracy, what the mm-hmm. hell. Yep. And he had already told me what he did on Indiegogo with Cowspiracy. And so I had all this confidence uh, to do an Indiegogo campaign. And another fellow by the name of Robert Bello, a friend of mine on Facebook, helped me. And by golly, we did it. And I started an Indiegogo campaign and I bought my husband's cows in less than four months. I raised $36,000 and it worked. Now... I'll tell you, I had no idea, none whatsoever, what I was really doing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I had talked to Howard Lyman, uh, which is, do you know Howard Lyman? No, I'm not familiar with him. Well, he's the mad cowboy. He's the one that was on Oprah Winfrey. Oh, yeah. That busted out the mad cow disease with Oprah. Uh if you don't know Howard Lyman, all you out there need to know Howard Lyman. He had a huge cattle ranch operation with like 30,000 cows. And he sold his whole operation, and he's vegan. And he goes, talks, or he doesn't too much anymore. But he was the man, the only one that I could talk to that I knew that had any inkling of what I would be going through. Mm-hmm. And I, I finally got a hold of him on Christmas Eve, 2014. And, you know, because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I was ready to just, you know, put Tommy up, you know, upside down on the elk that was in my living room. <laughs> and uh, and I, when I finally got a hold of, of Howard Lyman, you know, he talked me down and helped me to be a uh, better understanding about Tommy and my relationship to him. And he really kind of put me in my place, actually. And 
And then he told me that I needed to visit sanctuaries if I was going to open a sanctuary. Then I needed to visit about six sanctuaries and blah, 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 blah. I said, I don't have time to do that. I said, Tommy, you'll kill the cows. <laughs> you know, if I leave here, Tommy's going to slaughter these cows. And so when I started this Indiegogo campaign, I really, you know, I couldn't leave here. And so I relied on all my entrepreneurial business background all the things I knew in marketing and promotions, I relied on everything I knew uh, to start this uh, nonprofit. And we were a nonprofit in four months. We, um, our our three-year birthday is February the 20th. Wow. Amazing. Wow. What a transformation. I mean, all the things I'm sure you've had to learn along the way to even maintain a sanctuary. I can't even imagine. Oh, Oh my God, you talk about learning on the fly. Uh, <laughs> we have to do that. And I've visited, you know, Farm Sanctuary, um, you know, since, but I haven't been able to visit a lot of sanctuaries. It's been, uh, you know, I've been just so kind of. And just for the record, uh, I told Renee that we, we should have cut those uh, little bulls' uh, testicles off instead of doing the Birdizo method. That was one of the learning curves that we had. Uh, the Birdizo didn't take, but she did it because it was the most compassionate way, um, according to the vet. Sure, for population control on your own sanctuary. And I know on the Vet Life episode, you guys had to have them come out and do a castration. Um, you had them pumped up on morphine and other things to help, uh, you know, do it in another compassionate manner as much as you possibly could. Yeah, we had to undo what we did. I mean, the Berdizo method did not take. That's why those animals were so big. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's because the Berdizo method didn't take and they were getting our cows pregnant. So, you know, herd population is a, you know, if you're a cattle ranch, uh, that is a cow calf operation. That's what your whole business and your livelihood is based on is how many calves you can produce because that's how you make your money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you try to stop that, it's like stopping, you know, a, a train that's going 90 miles down the track because you got so many cows that are having babies, they're getting pregnant, you know, uh, it's just not an easy thing to stop. And we, we, we are 99.99999% uh, sure we've got it under control now. <laughs> uh, God, we but hope so. You got to watch out for the neighbors. Uh, bull jumped across the fence now. Oh, goodness. <laughs> You hope that don't happen because it can happen, you know, and, but we're, but we're doing everything we can to, uh, to not have any more babies. But one of the beautiful rainbows, kind of like the silver lining and all of this is that this family, this rowdy herd family will never, ever know, you know, um, meanness. It'll never know, uh, you know, anything about slavery or killing i mean the the ones that are still alive that experience that you know with their babies going to slaughter you know they still have those memories mm -hmm. but um you know it's um it's, it's an awesome it's an awesome feeling for me to know that this family will never ever be separated 
separated. We're hoping that the next birth is the last birth, and it's going to be from a cow named Veronica that fell off of or jumped off of a truck uh, near Kansas and was rescued with uh, Kansas City Animal Save, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably doing about five months. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you guys are really doing an incredible thing. And Tommy, you know, you started to brush up on, you know, how you decided to start experimenting with veganism through the food component, having had your dad pass away at the age of 61 from a heart attack. So, you know, what what was that journey like for you getting into veganism? Well, it's a pretty long journey. You know, Renee was watching Slaughterhouse videos before she even went vegan, then uh, she was trying to be humane at that time. So I understood some of the, you know, some of the stuff, but, you know, I, I'd tell her she'd be crying and screaming in the next room watching a slaughterhouse video. And I'd say, quit watching that stuff. And so anyway, that, then she went vegan. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'm in this situation where she's collecting money out of something I said that I didn't think she could do. And so I had to think, well, you know, I, I, I gave her the opportunity. I can't back out of it. So then I started thinking about my health. And one of the movies she had got had me watch Forks Over Knives. And uh, I got into uh, that fella and, you know, how he did the China study and all that about heart disease. Mm. And so I thought, well, you know, it, it won't hurt me to eat better. And I did. Uh, the first several months I was not vegan. Uh, she didn't want me bringing any meat products in the house, but. You know, I could do whatever I wanted when I was in town, Mm -hmm. but I started thinking about myself, you know, and my health. And I didn't really like the uh, the way she was cooking her new lifestyle vegan food. It really didn't taste good to me. So I started cooking a lot of potatoes and onions and uh, tofu scrambles. So I was vegetarian until May 2nd, 2015. Uh, for a period of three or four months there, you know, in a transition type period. And then I, when Follow Your Heart and So Delicious came down here as sponsors with some uh, ice cream and cheese, I decided that I could do, you know, go all the way. And I've been vegan ever since May 2nd, 2015. And I, I don't regret it, but a lot of times I tell people that veganism was forced down my throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, had had the set of consequent or had the set the scenario been any different i probably would have never gone vegan Mm -hmm. and like a lot of my friends uh i know that will never go vegan but it's so good for your health number one for a lot of people health would be the main component it's so good for the world you know the environmental situation the earth is in is is terrible and a lot of people can't put it together that uh, raising these cows like crazy all over the world, feeding them 80% of the crops that are grown in the world just to produce meat. It, a lot of people can't put it together that they're destroying the oceans with the runoff and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the desert uh, areas are growing because pumping water out for uh, the cows. And and then you, you get to the third component, the compassion one. That's uh, probably my weakest area, you know, because I was born, you know, to hunt, fish, live off the land, whatever I had to do. Mm. But, uh, but I'm pretty hardcore vegan now. I understand all three components. And he loves the animals. You know, 
He he is out there with those animals. He loves the animals. And when I hear him say that the third part, the compassion, is the hardest part for him, I sit here and think to myself, man, I see him out there with those animals. I watch how much he loves them. I see how he, you know, really spends time with them. And, you know, I think from my point of view, what I see is that because he was raised, um, I mean, his family was, you know, um, in ranching back in the 1800s, you know, his great grandpa, um, you know, drove cattle from San Antonio to Tex to Houston and where he had a slaughterhouse. He had a slaughterhouse there and he had one in Alvin. And so Tommy's and, and a lot of Texans are like this. And a lot of ranchers are like this. You know, they're they're born and bred to believe it's the right thing to do. It's the uh, ethical thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think when I hear him say that, that it's just hard to betray your culture and your tradition. Mm-hmm. So hard for people to betray that. But Tommy loves these animals. But the hardest thing is betraying culture and tradition. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like the way that you put that, too, because hopefully that will inspire some of our listeners to maybe question culture and tradition and where that comes from. But I know you guys were on a little bit of a time limit on your end, so I want to ask this one question before we get into the future of the sanctuary. How has this positively impacted your marriage now, having you both on the same page? What would you say, Tommy? I'll let Renee answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear him. Uh, you know, you need to say something too. Uh, because we are, you know, now I am all involved in the ranch, right? I mean, you can't you can't get me uninvolved, you know. Um, not only do I open gates, but you know, I uh want to make sure that we have plenty of fencing and plenty of you know, what we need to, you know, to take care of these animals. Um, you know, I'm all involved in, you know, what we need. I always talking about rock and sand. And, you know, I never looked, I never cared about all that before. And so because of that, um, you know, Tommy likes that I care about all that. He likes well, that I'm all involved in the, we, in the... We get along very well now as a married couple. We, we still fight a lot, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I when I retired, when I retired, I was thinking that I would just raise a few cattle, drop the size of the herd as a supplement to the income, uh, and do a lot of uh, the things that I love to do in retirement. And that hadn't worked out too well. It, this is a a lot more work than uh, a ranch is because you don't get rid of your problems; you take them to the vet, and so. It's a full-time job now, seven days a week. Um, it's hard to leave this place. But as far as me and Renee, we get along a lot better being uh, sanctuary owners or sanctuary founders, uh, founders not owners, uh, than a married couple having a ranch. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really fight that much anymore. We may argue about, you know, peripheral things, but we don't really, I mean, used to, we used to fight a lot. We have shared goals now. One of the goals is we want to move the sanctuary to higher ground. We've uh, been flooded twice here, and we're in the process of trying to do that. Yeah, we want to move to Brenham, hopefully. Wow. 
I was going to ask you what, what your vision was moving forward. So that, that sounds wonderful. And, um, you know, so moving forward here, what, what can our listeners do to best support you and your mission and what you're trying to do over there? Well, I always tell everybody, this is real important, that it's one thing to rescue an animal, but it's quite another to rescue a ranch. And my mission, my deep, heartfelt mission is to rescue ranches because ranches need a way to, um, they need to know how they can, they can change. You know, uh, they don't have the, the knowledge and God, I don't want anybody to have to do it the way we did it. Uh, but ranches need to know because ranches have contacted me. Ranchers have called me, uh, you know, and wanting to know, you know, how we did this. And they've let me know, you know, just like I was saying, tradition and culture is hard to change. They love their animals, but this is what they've always done. Mm -hmm. And so right now I am working with a coalition of uh, entities around the country. Um, I'm not at liberty to say who yet because we're still forming it. But uh, the program that we've developed is called Rancher Advocacy Program. And our mission is to help ranches change. And we are looking at ways that they can get out of the business of killing animals and doing something different so that they don't disrupt their livelihood. Sounds like a wonderful mission. Wow, that's incredible. I'm so excited to hear about future possibilities. And so how can our or where can our listeners find you to keep up with Rowdy Girl Sanctuary updates? Well, RowdyGirlSanctuary.org, our social media, we're all over Facebook, uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. We've got a Twitter account, Rowdy Girl Ranch. We're on Instagram, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. And, you know, we have right now we have a membership drive and, you know, we have like 101 or 102 members right now. And our goal is to have 200 members this year. And for as little as $15 a month, folks can become a member and really support our, you know, kind of boots on the ground effort. You know, it costs a lot of money to feed these animals, uh, to buy hay, to keep the infrastructure up, you know, to for vet care. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of money. And as a 501c3 nonprofit, the more members we have that really care, that donate that $15, $20 a month, those people can, when they're all collectively together, they can help us so that I'm not having to always fundraise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that helps so much. That's wonderful. So, yeah, that's the best way. That's wonderful. And really quickly, if we have a minute, Tommy or Renee, too, what would be your best advice for our vegan, our passionate vegan listeners that may struggle with communication in regards to ranchers? What would be your bit of advice for them to carry forward from this episode? Well, it's pretty hard to communicate, a vegan, to communicate with a rancher. I'll tell you that there's a a big uh, wedge in between those two entities. Uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary is in a unique situation being in Brazoria County and and having ranches all around it. Uh, We interface with uh, the feed store folks and a lot of ranchers at the feed store. And they're just going to have to get used to it because the world is changing and, you, you know, you can stick, stick your head in the sand or you can look at the facts. And, you know, most ranchers probably won't ever uh, pull their head out of the sand. Yeah, they will. But uh, we're planting seeds and we're planting a lot of them. We'll just see if uh, some of them sprout. They are going to. We've already had a couple uh, couple change and it's going to happen. And, 
you know, my advice about this to, to other vegans, you know, unless you are like, we're in a unique position because we used to be a ranch. Mm -hmm. And so our communication comes from, because we're vegan now, we can talk to other ranchers because we know their heartbeat. Mm -hmm. We know what they've been through. We understand their tradition and the culture. It's really hard for a vegan in California or New York that's not lived that lifestyle to communicate with a rancher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there's a big gap. You there know, is. how are you going to do it? You, you just... You've got to be, I mean, the, the ranchers just don't have uh, very much uh, patience for vegans that are, you know, throwing blood on themselves or, you know, uh, raving and going crazy in a grocery store. Right. Uh, you know, ranchers won't have any respect for that. I try to uh, use the health angle, forks over knives, and uh, I know a lot of ranchers that probably have health issues. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good approach, too. And, you know, I, I, I can see what you're saying, Renee, that for those of us who have not lived that lifestyle, who we don't have the knowledge to empathize um, 100 percent with that. And so there are it's it's an interesting ball game to play. That's for sure. And I'm really hopeful for the future, though. And I think that you guys are doing an absolutely wonderful thing for not only your cattle, your cows, but also inspiring others to question themselves deeper and hopefully change this world into a, a vegan utopia in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing that's really interesting that people need to hear and know is I had an eighth-generational cattle rancher family come to me uh, when I was at a health fest uh, with a booth. And they came up to me, and they wanted to know, you know, basically what I was doing and how I was doing it because their kids were going vegan and vegetarian. Wow. And they did not want to inherit that ranch. And this is what's happening because of social media and because of young, the younger generation going vegan and vegetarian, they don't want to do this anymore. Mm -mm. If you're a rancher out there, your kids are changing. And so you've got to start looking at a different way to go. I like that. That's a really good piece of advice yes. there, too. Well, thank you so much, Renee and Tommy, for sharing your story on our show. We've really enjoyed talking to you, and we wish you guys the best of luck. Thank you guys Thank you. so much. We appreciate it. Take care, guys. Thank you so much to both of them for coming on and sharing their knowledge and wisdom with us. Yeah, that was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. So I thought it would be appropriate, here's your health tip of the episode, that the main theme of this episode is centered around vegan advocacy, if you think about it. So what are the main things that we need as vegans to ensure that we communicate our truth effectively? And I'm not talking about things that we need to make other people see, but rather what do we need to do within ourselves? And this is where I come up on the topic of empathy, empathy within our communication. I understand that the shock factor for many of us is what got us to cross over onto the vegan side of the world, but it doesn't always work for everyone. So it's important for us to really tune into the energetic field of the people we are communicating with to see what is the approach that they are willing to take on and take in. And as soon as we are attached to the outcome, hoping that they receive our information, we cancel everything out. 
because we need to re- we need to understand that we are there delivering the truth, delivering the information for those who are ready to receive it. Not everybody is going to receive it. And as soon as we allow ourselves to get angry with these people for not receiving it, we take away the gift of giving them that truth and message to begin with, canceling the whole thing out. So what's one thing we can make sure we do? It's practicing empathy. And that means doing the inner work within ourselves to be able to empathize with the people we're communicating this truth to. So for example, when we're communicating with someone and we see that they are a product of their conditionings and limiting beliefs, we need to also remember that we too are products of our conditionings and limiting beliefs. Just because we're vegan and broken one conditioning does not mean we're completely free. And this is something Chris and I do daily. We become the observer of our thoughts, our actions, our words, and we pinpoint ways in which we are still programmed in a way that limits our progression and personal growth. So we have to remember that people who are not receiving this truth, it's not because they're inherently bad people. They are still a product of their limiting beliefs and conditioning. So when we practice that empathy and we see ourselves in them, we are most likely going to approach it with compassion approach it with empathy and understanding because we too have been there as well. And this isn't always an easy topic to digest as it takes time to practice some of these skills. And that's exactly why we created the community we created in the Soul and Wonder Vegan Warrior community. And why we created the Soul and Wonder Vegan Warrior Total Immersion. That's our one-on-one coaching program to help you get past these limiting beliefs, overcome them, connect with your soul's purpose, and everything else in between. And you can also do this through our upcoming digital course. Absolutely. And if you are new to our Vegan Warriors uh, community on Facebook, be sure to catch up with the the Get Out of Your Own Way self-sabotage challenge that we launched for people to help identify the ways in which they get in their own way. And this deals directly with limiting beliefs and societal conditionings. Yes. And that is a free challenge. You can join our group and check out all the videos and amazing workbooks that accompany that. Absolutely. So remember, when you're out there spreading the vegan message, do your best to practice empathy. We try our best to do it as well. As Chris said, it's not always an easy feat, but you grow as a person because of it. We hope you guys have a wonderful day, and we will see you on the next episode.